name is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the More Than Child's Play podcast. This is your host, Nicole Sturgent. Today, I am talking with Melissa Schwartz. Melissa is the founder and the director of the Renovo Center. She has um, an individualized approach to client treatment and is passionate about connecting each client to the tools and team members who best fit their specific personality and needs. Her center has a no shame approach and she's the driving force behind that for all clients and their treatments. Melissa and her center is dedicated, they're both dedicated to the use of brain-based integrative treatments. Um, She has a master's of arts in professional counseling from Liberty University and maintains certifications as an advanced alcohol and drug counselor, a supervisor, substance abuse professional, and as an acupuncture detoxification specialist through the National Acupuncture and Detoxification Association and the West Virginia Board of Acupuncture. She's also licensed as an approved licensed professional supervisor and counselor. In her more than 25 years of experience in the mental health field, Melissa has been heavily influenced by her training in neuroscience, stress science, attachment therapy, nutrition, and evolutionary biology. I can also just say from um, a personal side, Melissa is a dear friend. When Lacey and I um, started dreaming of this podcast and brainstorming out loud a list of people that at some point we wanted to talk to, She was top on our list for many reasons, and there is no better time than the present to bring her in for the conversation that we're going to have. Um, From a personal and a professional side, I can share that she is my go-to person. When someone in my house or one of my patients is in crisis or needs support, and I have um, trusted her advice and appreciated it so much over the years. So... Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. We're so, so happy to have you. Um, Just to let our listeners know, we invited Melissa today to talk about um, a broad topic, really, children, teenagers, and mental health issues surrounding the pandemic. And I just want to let you know that we threw this out there to our social media followers and to our podcast listeners. And the response in the past 48 hours, I guess, leading up to this conversation has overwhelmed me in a good way. Um, As a parent, I know not one other parent who isn't worried about their child right now. And I was so thankful that people were brave enough to share their concerns and their questions, including some teenagers who directly messaged me themselves. Um, And so I just think that it it points to the importance of having Melissa here and how thankful we are to have her. We've all gone through such a year and there absolutely has been mental health consequences and concerns um, and we we are gonna tackle them. Um, At 
at Milestones and Miracles, we tend to focus a good bit of our time on the early years. But um, as we know, there are issues that affect children and teens through their lifespan. And I can't think of one that's more important to Lacey and I than mental health. So a lot of the topics today will focus um, on older children, but we will talk on, about younger children as well. Um, and I hope that you'll find our conversation helpful because I know it, it's very important to me as well. So Melissa, to get started, what do we know about how the pandemic and all of the quarantining and the changes to school, sports, and social events have affected young children and teens? And are there specific mental health issues we've seen arise? Okay. Well, the first, that, that first part is, you know, how are they affected? Well, kind of like we all are. I mean, they're bonded and attached to our, us as caregivers kind of thing. So they're adults. And so when their adults are stressed, the kids are stressed too. And so we, um, we're all stressed. And when we're in fight or flight, like survival, this has been a year of survival, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, different parts of our brain are in charge based on how stressed we are. And when we're in survival, that's the, the simplest, fastest, um, and reflexive, least thoughtful part of our brain. And so all of our stress wires are firing. And so everything that's a problem kind of shows up, unfortunately. And so that's kind of part of what we're experiencing here is like everything that's an issue is showing up. And so um, every, you know, I do think everyone is finding this challenging in general. Um, and, and, and so, I mean, that's definitely everyone's affected. I think the, um, um, how, how are they affected? I think, I think when we're stressed, there's just so many things. Like I think about with, you know, some of our kids don't pivot with change very well anyways. So that's been difficult. And then our kids who thrive, like this is a long time for these big, big changes that are really unnatural. I mean, we're humans. Humans are all about community and connection. And then to take away our normal means of community and connection, or, you know, whether, I mean, just school alone for folks who, who attend traditional schools, like that's a huge change. Yeah. Um, and it's not summer, you know, what I mean? yeah. it's summer, very different. And so that is significant. I think for, you know, I think about kids who are, um, you know, went from being in a brick situation to clicking, which is a significant change in, in you know, education is very different from click to brick or brick to click and back and forth. I think some of the school districts with their back and forth of, we're open this week, we're closed this week, we're open these days, closed this day. I mean, there's just a lot of back and forth that even for your junior high and high school schoolers are challenging, but I really think about the younger kids being in particularly impacted by just the lack of consistency there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think like before the pandemic, did our area have, like, I, I live between Martinsburg and Shepherdstown, so like Grubhub, and Uber Eats, like like foods delivered everywhere now. I don't remember it being like that before. And so I think there's a lot of carry out, pickup, delivery of groceries, all kinds of stuff that wasn't before. And I, you know, I, I've heard about the quarantine 15. Um, I think we've we've e- 
eat an, a lot more processed food, which is inflammatory to our bodies on top of having a stressed gut, which causes um, more leaky gut kind of things where we, we are not breaking our food down and absorbing our nutrition, along with having some folks less nutrition coming in, you can really see that some of those outcomes or, you know, mental health issues that we're seeing are anxiety, you know, 80% of our serotonin is in our gut. Um, and stress alone dysregulates that, you know, and I don't, I don't know anybody who has anxiety that doesn't have some type of gut dysregulation with that. Right. Uh, um, suicidal thoughts, um, eating disorders, you know, particularly with teenagers in that, um, just feeling very isolated, alienated. Um, some folks are having a hard time leaving the house. Um, teenagers, menstrual periods, adults, menstrual periods, significant, which I you know, have even asked around about that with healthcare professionals and whether it's the COVID vaccine or actually having COVID, which is now some, you know, a virus that impacts blood in particular, all of these things are part of all of that. Um, and, and really with the neural pathways from our major organs, like the heart to our brain, of course, there's this moodiness and irritability and dysregulation that can be all associated with that. Um, so I, I hope that's... No, that was a good answer. And I appreciate um, in Melissa's work, she, one of the things I love about it is that it's very wraparound and very holistic and considers um, biology and nutrition and environment and lots of things. And it, it that, that all makes very good sense. On that, on that road, um, do we know anything about mental health issues for children and teens who've actually had COVID themselves? I've read about uh, increase in anxiety disorders with adults who have had COVID post recovery or mm -hmm. long haulers. What do we know or do we know anything about children and teens who have had COVID themselves? Um, I, I know very little, just simply because like most of most kids that I've learned about, which is, I mean, there's still a lot of data coming. And literally, like you and I both are aware of this significant spike that our local area, our counties yeah. have experienced recently. So I think the the data is yet to come, at least that I'm aware of. I think I think many, many, many children have probably had COVID and never been tested. Exactly. And you know Florida I mean? had never had symptoms. You know, we were talking before exactly. we started recording our family, despite extreme caution, had COVID and everyone had significant symptoms except for our youngest. But it's, yeah. it's made me think, you know, yeah. are some of these disruptions that I see with my own children a combination of change in schedule, change in environment, inconsistencies with life? And is the fact that they're recovering from the virus affecting them. So that will be interesting yeah. for us to pay attention to moving forward. Yeah. And and not I think not to dismiss the fact that that could be playing a role yeah. um, for children and teens, just like adults. Yeah, I do have reports like when um, that folks, like they had behavior disruptions and just meltdowns and those kind of things prior to, maybe having a sniffle or a cold symptom that would end up being tested, you know, and testing positive for COVID. Um, I think, I think there's the post COVID kind of thing, whereas maybe there's more dysregulation that could be part of that. I um, mean, it, it makes sense that it could be. Um, I do think 
everyone I know is still a little bit tired afterwards, but yeah. we're in a place where even people who haven't had COVID are just tired. You know what I mean? This is, there's a, there's a general, um, I would say there's many people are reporting just being tired kind of thing, a little bit of fatigue yeah. well, more I, than normal. Yeah. I know my, um, I wear an Apple watch and monitor my heart rate when I exercise and I'm still going through pretty intense physical therapy for a knee injury. And something that mm-hmm. I've had to work with, with my therapist is my heart rate spiking immediately yeah. after starting activity. There's no yeah. gradual buildup. It's just yeah. super high. So I, I want to share some resources because one of the resources is our cranial sacral therapist. Um, who you can reach out to. She's local and she does some virtual work, but it's physical-language.com. And and she's been really wonderful and really helping understand that response. Um, You know, COVID, and this is where I'm talking out of my wheelhouse, but, you know, what I understand better is from someone sharing who has better language and and all of that. But really, of course, it's going to impact your heart. Of course. And when we have something that impacts our heart, um, even when our bodies may be still healing or whatever like that, and having their process of healing, which you have acute healing, and then you have the 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 longer term kind of healing where we're coming back to ourselves, are our baseline. Um, there, there. When we experience something, and I mean, look at everything around COVID. Is you know fight or flight, right? Like people are dying from this. And so getting something with everything that is known about it can put you in a survival response. Correct. And so coming out of a survival, coming out of this, like, let's be really, let's use our trauma language. If that's, is that okay? Yeah. Like sure. this is a trauma. They Absolutely. Hold, it's a trauma. This is a trauma. This is a trauma. And so this is, I mean, you can even call this chronic or even you know, this is a complex, like, because the duration is really long. And so coming out of that, of course, you know, there's the physiological piece that I think you're referencing when you start to exercise and your heart rate just boom, you know, kind of thing. But I think there's also this, we have had for how much, you know, whatever the time when we first started learning about COVID, this kind of death association. And so when it actually comes to visit your home, there is just a massive amount of fear. It's just, sure. I would say it's very similar to being in a very serious car accident. Absolutely. And so, it and takes so many time. people either have actually had someone in their family die or know someone who has died, has died. And so, um, you know, in, I'm not the, I'm not the counselor or the trauma specialist, but yeah. I think you're right that it is a yeah. trauma response and it's legit in some ways. Yes. If it's become so imagine- to your family, it's not imaginary. Yeah. Right. So when we kind of have that kind of approach, imagine what that's like to leave your house yeah. or to, you know, begin, you know, say, say you have immunity or you got the vaccine or however people are feeling comfortable to re-engage with the, even just their slightly outside of the house community, there is going to be fear. This is like, you know, when someone has a serious car accident, getting back in a car mm-hmm. is going to cause some stress right. and, and, you know, needing support. And I think, I think, Let's let's be gracious and kind and understand that we're gonna have some of that stuff collectively. Yeah. We're gonna have that and 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 give is ourselves that... some time to reacclimate. Understand it's okay to press a pause button and go in slow. I don't know about for you, but I know 
when that the return those kids to school came out, that was too fast for most people to for their brains to be okay with. That was way too fast. And I know everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. I don't, I, I don't envy any administrator or anything, but I, but that was one of those things when we've had this message for so long, the, the, the response, you could see the fear and the survival, like this is life or death. And now you want me on a, on a dime to be right back with 30 kids or whatever it might be. Right. Exactly. So I guess uh, so one question we got a lot from parents is, it is normal to expect that children and adults will have reactions. And it is normal to expect that we should give ourselves some grace and some time to process that. But how do we figure out what is normal response to this monumental change? And when it's, it's sort of edges into that atypical response where we know they need professional help? How can, how can we tell? Um, so that I can, you know, we're, I'm very holistic and, and the interventions that I advocate for, not all of them involve professional people. You know what I mean? Because I mean, minimum effective dose is kind of where I'm at. And we also find that people feel honored and valued. And, and there's a lot of research that supports that. So I think when we're talking about anxiety and loneliness and my belly hurts and I can't sleep, um, there, there's somewhere, I think for sleep, I, um, somewhere at six hours or less, it's time to get help. I think for anxiety, if, if you can't leave the house, it's time for help. Or, or even, and this is where if you're brainstorming and saying, hey, let's do this, this, or this, and, you know, it, it is also, there's ages here that are going to be different answers kind of thing for this. Um, if someone is having suicidal thoughts or feeling hopeless, even this is where they don't actually want to die, but there's just, I just need this to end. I can't stand living like this. Those more, um, I don't even know what to call that. But anyways, you know what I'm saying? The worthless yeah. thoughts, like we don't want it to go past that. I mean, we don't even want them to be there, right? But we like, don't let it go into the having the, you know, I want to die. I wish I wouldn't hear, I, you know, well, let's not go into where their, their brain starts thinking up at a plan because that's, that is how inflamed and stressed out they are. And we, nobody wants that. They're already in so much pain here. Let's address it here. Um, I think, I, I think the other people, I mean, if my only you know, I think if the kid, you know, we're thinking about with kids and this is probably more maybe late elementary, junior high, high school, if their only relationships are virtual, that's time to get some help. You know what I mean? Our social media based, um, are people that they don't know in real life as in they can't FaceTime with even, or they aren't part of the parent community as well. Yeah. Um, like they, they have to be like relationships have to be real. You and I both know as we, we do a little bit on social media, it's just not the same as real life. No, it's not even close. And we don't want our kids literally, there is such a message that, I mean, I don't have Snapchat, but when I've heard how that goes together, where it, there's literally a, a, a conversation that's pre-recorded, set up and did up. It's like a production and then that's sent out for whatever that it's like, you know, we, we need social to have media a- is it's whole, we could have you come for a whole conversation on social media, because I will tell you, um, 
you can look at a lot of teenager social media and you'll think, oh, they have so many friends. And uh, the reality is each of those kids may have one or two real people that they call when they're in a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And but to the world, they're very popular or supported or, you know, and so that perception is hard for kids who don't think they have that. Yeah. And so we're comparing real with, with an artificial look. Yeah. Yeah. So are you saying that, that one of the signs um, of knowing when to get them help is if they do not have a friendship that we would qualify as real, which might be different to every kid in some way, but someone, yeah. an actual person and that they know and their real circle of life that they could call on with a problem. Would that yeah. be a fair way to define that? Well, we would, we would use more palatable language for the hearer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. How, how, You're how, right. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking uh, any junior high or even late elementary, all your friends aren't real, so we need to get you help. No, we wouldn't say it like that. Right. But it's one of those pieces where, you know, we want you to, like, literally, what are the components of healthy human existence outside real food community where you literally are playing with other kids that aren't exactly your age typically, but there's some, there's some, you know, two years up, two years down, whatever kind of thing. Right. And sometimes your age, there's adults around and the social, social media does not offer that. Like there isn't that there's, there are right. not adults around. Um, there, there, I mean, I could just go into that, but there's but for and some there's, families in person is still not an option for whatever reason. Yeah. Which, you know, you, you and I probably could put our heads together on this, you know, how have you allowed you, you know, your, your, your teens are a little older than, than my teen and, and younger kids. We've done FaceTime and we've done, yeah. you know, larger little Zoom things. So and then we, we've visited outside a lot. Not yeah. to, not to use the real friend language again, but FaceTime with, with an actual human that they know, yes. not a bot in this That's circumstance right. would count. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because look at you and me. I could stick my tongue out at you and you can see that. You can see normal human interactions here. I can, can read your nonverbal cues. Exactly. Which and you can't hear, do through typing. And you also can literally see that I'm not perfect and you're you're a real human and not perfect. We're gorgeous ladies, obviously. <laughs> but we're just, you know, we're gritty. Both of you, we were very active within the past hour, both of us. Yes, so. we both have our workout clothes on. For better, for worse, we show up vulnerable for each other. Right. Yeah, so I, we want our kids to be doing the same. Yeah. I'm hearing you say. Nobody should have to get polished up for something like that. And I, I'm aware that that is something going on, especially in that junior high, high school, for, for sure. Okay. Those are all good answers. So my next question I've been thinking about a lot during this pandemic, and I'm so happy to be able to ask you it because I think I've seen um, in my own parenting and in some ways, maybe I even am susceptible to this. If I take a hard look in the mirror in some ways, I hope not in all ways, but I think for better or worse in America, we have a tendency to label kids early on by identifying them by their hobby or interest. You know, you're an athlete, you're a musician, you're an artist, you're a scholar, you're a tech whiz. And suddenly on a dime, the pandemic took all of those activities away or seriously altered them. And I've just found myself wondering 
Um, if children and teens are struggling with their identity and if that's adding to their anxiety and depression, if I am this and then this is suddenly gone, what am I? Who am I? And so I'm just curious your thoughts on this. And, you know, we have these conversations in our house about trying to instill and discover, because they're still very much in a discovery phase, um, who they are versus what they do. And I'd love your idea, your tips on um, moving kids in that direction and fostering that healthy development. So, you know, I'm going to start with adult and go back because this is kind of powerful. And we as adults, and I, I know most of your listeners are probably adults, correct? I think this um, one will get some teens too, but yes, mostly awesome. adults. Well, super. So those, even of us, we, you know, part of, part of our, our stressors and, you know, the things that have called us to grow are realizing that I'm not my, I'm not just a wife or I'm not just this, or I'm, you know, we have career changes or um, we have roles and families and different things like that. And, and all of these identities that are somewhat external they can change. And so part of what we, you know, and this is something that we want to call everybody to, and, and, and this is part of our emotional development, even as adults, because we we just never stop developing, you know, is really ground into who we are. And that's a more internal thing, not external. And so just, just for an example, um, valued, um, that we are loved, that we're good enough, that we matter, that we have power. I mean, we don't have complete control, but we have power. We can make choices. We have power. We're worthy. We can have joy. We can do good. Um, you know, there's so many pieces and being anchored into a community. And this is this part where, like, where we have, like, you know, you, you have this beautiful family. I, I get to, you know, eavesdrop on at times where how much have the adults in your life influenced you and really mentored you and loved you along. Those pieces are part of who we are. And it's not about you being a PT, is it? No, no this is you, who you are. You're valued, you're loved. You have all these folks that have been, you know, surrounding doing that in here as caregivers, we want to make sure all of our kids really are getting that message. And so we, I do see it as part of, of development, you know what I mean? As a part of our, that long process of individuation of becoming adults, there is this kind of process of struggling with who am I? You know, why am I here? Who am I? What, what am I going to do? What do I want to be when I grow up? You know, all those pieces and people, you know, we kids do, you know, try on things. They try sports. They try, um, I mean, a bunch of things. You listed a beautiful, a great list. I mean, and, and nowadays people are trying on genders and different things like that. There where even 20 or 30 years ago, there's less of that, but this is just part of people really trying to discover work into that process of who, who am I? And so that's, that's typical. And we don't want to like say that's not typical, but as our children are, are in this process. We want to have them held in those core, really, um, those core expectations or values. I don't even know what they are. You are loved. 
You matter. You have value. You're worthy. You're, you, all of those core pieces, we want that couch. We want to hold that no matter where they're at, no matter what identity they're trying on at that time, holding in that because that's the one that provides safety. It's enduring. And those are pieces that really can't change. Somebody can reject me and I can still be loved because, you know, I'm anchored in. I have me. Right. And, and that's something that, you know, our, we get our security as kids. We get our security from our caregivers. And as we're individuating into adulthood, we are more and more to be grounded into ourselves for that security. And it's when we're not and and don't have the support, we kind of to do that transition that we have some more vulnerabilities with relationships and identity and all of that. And so um, that, that kind of grounding in what is truth. And even, even when I know people individuating, launching into adulthood is a, it's a difficult process. It is. it is. And I think, I think learning early on, I am worthy even when I am not achieving or performing yes. or succeeding, you know, who am I? I am a, you know, I say to my kids like, yes, you are a dancer, you are a student, mm-hmm. but more importantly, you are funny. You are thoughtful. You know, you are yeah. uh, someone who shows up you are a leader. Like you can be 90 years old and those things will still be true about you. Yeah. Even when you can't spin across the stage and leap up into the air, you know, like what is, what is enjoyable and fun and temporary and what is who you are? Those are different things. Yeah. And here, when we're talking about these pieces, we're really talking about someone's essence, like mattering. Is there ever a time that anyone really just doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And and that's to themselves. You know what I mean? Is there ever, it's essence every, anytime that someone's really, we we all might have bad behaviors, but we're not bad. Right. You know what I mean? There's these pieces. We might have moments of powerlessness, but our essence isn't powerless. Um, And so those things, and so we're, we're not, the, the core grounding is about essence versus performance. Maybe that's probably what I'm shooting for. So beyond like, you know, having conversations with kids who are old enough to comprehend this, which is a little bit of an abstract topic and just reminding them in daily practice, Yeah, you know, is there anything else we can or should be doing? Or is that, is that the best way to, to handle that identity situation when so much of what they did identify as their identity is suddenly gone? Yeah, I do think that. And I mean, this is a skill that I think, or I mean, it's a skill that I think many of us as parents, it just kind of comes. Well, even ourselves, we're still dealing. I mean, I, myself, and a lot of adults still have to come back to the center of that at different points in life. And, you know, I I encourage if if people are parents or if, if someone's a parent listening, are there times when they sense that their kid is feeling that they don't matter? Well, those are the times to just kind of speak it to them. You know, you do, you do matter. You're really important. I'm so glad you're here. You know, you are a precious gift, you know, whatever it might be. If you sense that they did something wrong or someone thought they did something wrong and they're feeling really low about that, just speaking that to them, you're not bad. You are not bad. Even when you mess up, you know what I mean? You're not bad. Um, Does that? Yeah. And we tried, you know, our kids are 
busy, busy teenagers with full schedules and suddenly it was gone. And we, yes. tried, we tried to shape that into, this could be a gift. You have time to discover things you might want to learn or want to experience that you didn't have time to do before. You know, yeah. what might you be interested in? What have you wanted to try that we could do at home that you didn't have time for? My oldest is like, if we go on one more hike, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> like our family hikes so much and they may hate hiking for the rest of their life or puzzles, you know, like it's like enough. Yeah. Um, but we tried to like do it as a discovery phase of you're so busy all the time. This is silence that you can grow from. Um, but yeah. they I would say they probably argued with that notion, but that is how we tried to frame it. So so just how was it for your your folks to kind of have some stillness? Was how you know was that a gift in the long run? I think in some ways it was. I mean, yeah. they weren't completely still for terribly long. They even before they returned to school, they could return to dance with precautions, which was yeah. good because, as we know, when oh. your body moves, your your mind is um, yeah. healthier, and so we were thankful for that. But I do, I mean, I do think they rested more. They, they actually, you know, ate better. Um, we cooked more as a family, you know, there were benefits. And I think most yeah, people yeah. say they did feel some of that. Yeah. Good. So Very the, good. Other, the other thing that I'm hearing from almost every parent I've talked to in different ways, that reacclimation socially is tough either for them as adults and, or for their kids, I think it's a big deal for all of us. Um, it could be argued that we already live in a time, Lacey and I talk about this a lot when we lecture about social emotional development, that we are so present with our children, um, whether you think that's good or bad or both, you know, our parents in years past weren't there to help negotiate things or navigate problems or deal with conflicts. We just kind of showed up and did it by ourselves yeah. and it wasn't always graceful, but we learned from it. You know, um, this generation doesn't do that as much as we do. I'm not here to criticize that. I'm a parent of yeah. this generation myself, but I feel like since they've had such longer periods of health, um, of isolation that I'm personally seeing or hearing about some side effects of that in two ways. One with anxiety of returning to school because or social activities because they're so out of practice of um, interacting with peers. And also, um, sadly, I've seen or heard a great deal of avoidance or of problems or dealing with conflict or concerns in unhealthy ways, whether that be eating changes, substance abuse, um, poor choices with the way they handle texting or online behavior or even cutting behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, I know that's a very long and hefty question. So feel free to say what you want. But um, I, I know this is one that affects almost every person that wrote to us. Yeah. So I, you know, this is reacclimation. So I, I would hope that everyone had their family or friend or their person, because, you know, when you, when the world, you know, our country kind of shut down back in March, you know, we kind of hung out for a little bit and then we just kind of were like, okay, who is going to be, you know, wash their hands and be 
reasonable, you know, that we can trust really is a trust issue. Right. Right. And just start, you know, let's go, let's go out to the the fire pit and, and have those folks and we'll just have some space and we all bring our own beverages versus right. having the big yeah. cooler where we're touching the same stuff. And so I would really like to hope that so many families have done that. Pick, you know, pick your one or two folks that you connect with. Yeah. Visit outside and, and then still have some connection because that's where we, I really do believe if that is not happening, there is going to be significant delays in our social development. I think even with small amounts of that, um, going back to a classroom of 35 people where some aren't wearing their masks properly and some are, yes. and some, you know, were exposed to COVID, but they're still there. And <laughs> that has been like, ah, what am I okay? Am I safe? Am I, you know, should I, and even, even beyond the physical safety, which is important. And I don't want to downplay yeah. that specifically yeah. with this question, I'm talking about out of practice with managing social, emotional exchanges and health. And so with others. Yeah. Yeah. Let's drill down on that because if you're talking about, you know, I think you and I may have discussed that at one point in our, yeah. our time. I don't want to be in a classroom with 30 people. I've seen the classrooms. That's really close. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big concert person and that's just <laughs> me. And I love that some people really can feel okay in that. But I can't imagine. Can you imagine going to a Dave Matthews concert? Well, in the next husband, month, my husband really misses Dave Matthews, but I told him, no, we talked about this the other day. If they open tomorrow, even though we're fully vaccinated and even though we have had COVID, um, I would still, but I, the older I get, I just get more angsty about a bunch of crowds anyways, but me too, that's yeah. just me. but it close and a lot of people. So there is a reasonable expectation to have anxiety going from click to brick when there's. 25, 30, I don't know, I don't depending on whatever the number of folks in the classroom, A lot. especially when kids have been exposed to so much like, oh my gosh, if, if so-and-so doesn't have their mask just right, I might not be okay. So that's a reasonable expectation to have anxiety about those things. And that's, you know, time will tell. I mean, that's what kind of always is, is you know, are, am I, if their biggest fear is, am I going to get COVID or am, is someone else going to, I mean, and that that's something that individually would want to drill down on kind of thing. Yeah. What's the big fear there? I mean, I'm, I think there's a lot of kids in one classroom, yeah. you know, per, period. But are they like with these behaviors, with eating changes and yeah. mm-hmm. cutting and, and trouble, I, I, I see a lot of trouble with kids communicating with each other because mm-hmm. they're out of practice with that. Do okay. you see that in your practice? Do you see these behaviors and these like sort of unhealthy side effects? And if, if someone's seeing this with their kids, is the answer then, I guess, professional help? Well, it, I mean, they, part, the first answer, the first part is really, what, you know, engaging what's going on, really digging what's the, what, what are, how are they identifying what the root issue there is? Um, and so tell me, what age range are we talking about when you say difficult, more, out of more practice communicating? More teens, more with teens. Okay. You know, okay. they're upset with something instead of dealing with problems directly, they're either, um, not, they're harming themselves in some way or making yeah. choices for themselves 
or, you know, indirectly hurting others? Yeah. Let's talk about cutting first. Let's kind of make sense out of that. Okay. So cutting happens when people are so emotionally overwhelmed that that actually feels better than what they're actually feeling inside. So hard to imagine, but I know it's so real and so prevalent. So, so cutting, most people who cut do not want to die. That's not their intention. It is serious because there's accidental kind of, you know, what happens. Um, there's, you know, if teens are listening there, they probably could tell you more about that. I don't want to go into blood and different things like that, but there's other pieces that we could talk about on a more individualized kind of way. But that is, some, that's a, that's, that's a flag that says professional help and, and just, you know, having that, you know, I care about you. I love you. Let, let's go together talk to somebody. I always encourage parents, if you're going with your teen to a counseling session, your job's to talk 25% of the time. Oh, that's no more. great advice. Yeah. That's great advice. That's their session. And then if you have something that you need to say, that's safety and all these pieces. I mean, and this is going to range with age. It's going to flex that with age, but I'm particularly with teens. If there's something you really need to say, I mean, reach out to the to the agency outside of that session. That's their time and, and they need that voice. They're in excruciating amount of pain. And so trying to do that, and I mean, parents love their kids. I've just never, even in some awful situations, parents still love their kids. They're stressed out and, you know, just not able to manage well. Um, so it really kind of, you know, people know you love your kids. I don't, you know, I've never worked with other providers that didn't think parents love their kids all the time, literally. Um, but, but know that, that, that isn't about your support. I know how stressing that can be to parents and that's where it might be for parents to get whatever support they their need. Their own tools. Their own. Exactly. So it doesn't, it doesn't come into that session for the kid because that kid needs to know that this is their time. So just to clarify, if we're seeing severe eating changes, self-harm behavior, substance abuse, dangerous behavior online, that's a time where there's your flag. You don't have to wait for anything else. You need to access help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, And in other maybe less nothing is less significant. So that's not the word I want to use, but maybe less dangerous, less, less immediately dangerous things. It may be getting to the root of what is the problem that's bothering you. Let's talk through this together, yeah. being available and letting them know yeah. that you see something and that you want to help. Yeah. Yeah. And approaching that with warmth and love and care and concern. Let's clarify eating changes. We, we had a spike definitely spike of young adults and teens with eating changes. Um, and I, you know, there, there are a lot of people, there was very, I mean, that was a temporary response. Many of the folks never had issues with that before a term, you know, one of those short term, hopefully, and, and some of them are still working it out response to just a massive loss of control. I mean, and, and I, you know, there may be other factors with that from, Nutrition, I, you know, changes in nutrition, which is upsetting. When the, the more we eat out, the more dysregulated our gut is. Sure. The the less nutrition we have, um, the less our the less good material our, our body has to make good neurotransmitters, and also to support our immune system. 
Um, so there's, there's all these pieces with that. So what I want to clarify, like, you know, if, if your team decided to do, um, you know, was kind of just laying around in the beginning, I felt like they gained a little weight and, you know, they want to do something about that. We don't want to call that an eating change. We want to call something that makes us concerned is significant weight loss that puts somebody in a risk category. Um, and some folks have, you know, done a significant weight loss and that was actually really beneficial for them. They had the time and, and maybe going to school was actually way more stressful than they realized that their body, you know, was able to focus on eating real food and, and different things. And they were able to get outside and, and move their body and, and get some, whatever it is that people that whatever is that situation where they actually feel better. And that is an eating change that actually is beneficial, but it's, it's an unhealthy eating change. Um, that you're seeing negative effects physically and emotionally. Like if you, you, you're looking for sadness, you know, almost all the time or a lot of the time, um, staying away from other family members or friends connection all the time on social or even just, I don't know, I think sometimes 20 minutes is too much on social and I'm speaking as an adult, so I don't, I don't know what that's going to translate to for a team that's going to be reasonable. And I, I'm not a hard and fast. I'm kind of yeah. a great. But you're shade talking person. about yeah. eating changes that um, put them underweight. A lot food, of food, a lot of or, restriction, or unhealthy um, emotions about food, fear of overeating, yes. avoidance of um, extreme avoidance of certain kinds of foods. Yeah. Um, over exercise is good. You're never going to hear a physical therapist tell you not to exercise, but, but there's over exercise, over exercise, yeah. those sorts of yeah. things would, would lead you. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, also yeah. diuretics and, and the, um, what are the laxatives, those kind yeah. of using those things to dysregulate. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I've heard a lot of parents say, I really think my kid needs a counselor. I don't know how to to bring it up without feeling mm-hmm. interrogated. So these questions can kind of go together. How do we approach that without them feeling interrogated? If the child refuses to go or feels weird about it, should we make them go if we know it, they absolutely need help? Okay. Um, this There's some age things that are going to be unique here, but I'll just kind of go pretty general. Um, obviously, if, if our six-year-olds need help, you know, a six-year-old is going to have a parent in session with them and they're part of that. Um, 14, 17, 18, 19, still in high school, those kind of things. This is where we're going to reach out. We're going to really connect with them. And so I'm going to, I call this making an effective request. Um, There are various versions out there, but effective requests is something to the effect of, I care about you, I love you kind of thing. And then you do, I feel afraid or whatever the feeling, I feel afraid that you're in so much pain. And I mean, we, we got a label. A lot of our, our kids don't have words for the emotional pain they're experiencing. I feel afraid that you're in so much pain. I need to address, help you address that. Would you please come with me to meet with somebody? And right. I love you. And, and I would feel guilty if I didn't reach out to you on this, if I didn't yeah. address this. And, and just to kind of, so a teenager, it's hard to make a teenager do anything. Let's just start there. Yeah. But yeah. if there's substantial concerns for mental health and safety, 
Should a parent make, like, let's say you say that to your kid and they're like, I'm not going. Should you say we're going? If this is a safety issue, you're going. You know, it's like, I would feel guilty if I didn't process. I mean, no, your life no is more different. important. Yeah, no yeah. different than your blood sugar is low. So we're going to the ER or you broke a bone. So I'm taking yeah. you to get a cast. Yeah. Your life is more important than me being upset that you're pissed at me because I'm making, I'm insisting that you get okay. support. That's good. You know, that that's where it's life or death. The other, the other piece that this is the time where, I, I, know, I know teenagers, we really want them to regulate themselves, but they still need us just in different ways as parents. And so this is one of those pieces. And let's just say it hasn't hit the full on life or death where there's maybe suicidal ideation or or suicidal thoughts um, or cutting behaviors or something where there's like a pretty, like a serious risk. This is just a moderate risk. I I need this because if we don't, I, I don't, I would feel guilty if it got in worse without you having this intervention. I, I would consequence, you know what I mean? You know, you can be mad at me, but sometimes I have to be the parent. Absolutely, I I have to be the parent. You have um, a lot of success and with willingness to get help for teens or older children when they can access a counselor through telehealth or these texting services. I've seen those advertised online. And what are those good or those bad? Do we? What do we think about that? I love this question because we we had seen those too, and we put together some teen groups um, that were tele, like virtual. We have a HIPAA-protected Zoom version of HIPAA. Yes. And no takers. And really, they got down to the root is so many of our teens have been really violated through media, video, that kind of that kind of thing. That they're like, no, we have a... I don't know if we have any folks in our center who are doing more than a session or two when say the whole center is closed for testing or something like yeah. that because that's happened a couple of times. Um, it's been very short-lived. Um, they, they really want in-person. These and, that, and, and here, I don't think testing is therapy. I'm just going to put it out there. Okay. That is not therapy. And, and it's, it's one of those pieces that so many of the components of what happens in therapy cannot be translated in a text. Oh. Now, can there be information? Can there be information and resources shared? Absolutely. But to call that therapy is really would be a stretch. And so, you know, I would be curious to see what that actually would look like. But um, we, I've we've seen just not some had services where as a parent, you can give background information. Your child can have an in-person about, well, not in-person, but virtual evaluation yeah. with a therapist. And then a once a week, like telehealth check-in, but then in between sessions, they can leave messages or texts for the therapist to communicate between sessions. I don't know anything about them. Um, I just wonder if the reason why I asked the question is, you know, I think if it is a step, I was curious if it was a step way into therapy for a child who was resistant or um, felt odd about seeing a therapist if maybe they saw the benefit of something if maybe they would be more willing yeah I you know I think it's interesting we just didn't have any takers we just didn't so I mean that's it just maybe our experience it doesn't mean that that's across the world so I'd be curious if um 
if somebody, hopefully somebody yeah, will if share anyone's it. Listening, yeah. If anyone's listening and they've had this service, I've seen it advertised for adults too, like betterhelp.com and those places. Yeah. I'm just curious if people find that effective or if we have any listeners who have done traditional therapy in person versus that, if, if they have any feelings about it, it'd be interesting. So one specific question came in and it was as a mom of a clinically depressed teen who has had suicidal ideations prior to the pandemic, other than meds and extensive therapy, what resources are available to assist me in helping him navigate the pandemic? And I feel for this mom, because I can imagine Mm -hmm. this was hard enough before COVID. (laughs) And now this has to be very hard. Um, It sounds like she's doing a lot already, which is great. But do you have any feelings about that? Yeah. Um, what are, what resources are available? So, so you know, say the mom is, so I would reach, reach out local therapy, ask your friends, like who's, who is somebody that, that they find reputable, um, look for folks who are not, cause you know, if someone has anxiety, they're definitely going to need some nutrition support. You know, at, at Renovo, we have, you know, we sublease to a nutritionist who is, trauma-informed and wonderful yoga therapy, art therapy, and all of these trauma interventions and CBT. What about acupuncture? Can you talk about the acupuncture for a minute? Yes. Um, so ear acupuncture is just what we're able to do as therapists. And really it's kind of acu detox because it's a stress detox. So this is, um, if you think about acupuncturists without borders, any natural disaster, they go out, set their canopies up and and help folks who they're, you know, when there's a trauma that occurs, our central nervous systems are dysregulated. And sometimes we can get stuck in that survival response. And so the ear acupuncture in particular is wonderful and part of that. Um, so reaching out, then there's a multitude of places, um, either even some places in Martinsburg um, and Jefferson County, both that do acupuncture, like the whole, the whole deal. And also ear acupuncture. Some places are free for, for the ear acupuncture. Um, and there are clarify the ear acupuncture, because we have listeners really that we even have international listeners. So we have people that are listening all over, but the ear acupuncture specifically, I just want to make sure I'm understanding correct myself too. When I recommend this to people, it helps regulate the nervous system after it's been dysregulated from a stress situation. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it also helps our body move toxins which um, that's part of stress and our, our body being Hold inflamed more. kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So there's just five points and the needle is the size of a shaft of hair. So it's really tiny. Um, sometimes people feel a little bit like a bee sting or something. And other times people don't feel the pin going in. Um, and so people will, um, the, the practitioner will insert the pins and, and people can have no pins in either ear or do all 10, five in each ear, or they can do beads or seeds if they're not a pen person. Um, and then they just kind of hang out is something we typically do in groups. And here the research shows that even the, the people who don't have the, the pins in their ears or the beads and seeds have the same outcomes as the people who do. So this is where we're, our mirror neurons are kind of linking up with one another. Oh, and they're, they, um, they shift that, the folks with a treatment have transmits to those who don't. What are beads and seeds? Um, 
we we use little silver pellets that are on it, a little adhesive oh, or okay. radish seeds. Um, I'm not remembering the word they use for radish seeds, but anyways, they just go on the same points and there's a little the adhesive point from the weight of yes. it. Okay, got it. And then then the wearer can press on those gently a couple times a day or when they're feeling stressed. Okay. Now, I, I didn't um, tell you ahead, so I was going to ask you this question, but I feel comfortable asking it because I know you know so much about it. And I'm just wondering, as a resource for this mom or for other moms, can you just quickly touch on emotional brain training? Are you still yeah. doing that? Absolutely. Every session. And one of the things that's been so interesting, I, we, you know, Nicole and I were just talking about like EV pandemic has just slammed mental health. And we were kind of dealing with an epidemic before with substance misuse and every, the fallout around substance misuse around that person as well. And so this has just compounded all of this. And so, um, the folks that are coming in for therapy just are ready to work going. I mean, it's like, they're just, just hitting the ground running and doing just beautiful work. So emotional brain training, um, you can learn more about it at EBT, uh, emotional brain training, connect.net, EBT connect.net. And um, it's really where you, you're learning stress processing skills that help us not get stuck in stress and really over time, rewire how our brain processes stress. So, you know, Nicole, we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, you know, how do those, you know, those teens and their identities and, you know, how do we do that? We ground into our essence. What is our essence? And so say we have, you know, a wire where someone rejects us and say, oh, I'm not lovable kind of thing might be what it feels like. And so having the tools and skills to rewire that and really have in code in the brain, I am lovable, the opposite, which is actually true. But it's with biofeedback, correct? It's not. Okay. Yeah. We've, we've had neurofeedback. We've had neurofeedback in our center and we've had actually at one point we had three suites of neurofeedback, three systems of neurofeedback. And, um, COVID is, we've, we're not even doing that right now because it requires us to be pretty close. And, and so that for is future reference for people. That's yeah. when they're receiving visual feedback, correct? Of their, it, it's yeah. Visual and auditory feedback there. Um, so an, use an EEG amplifier and just have the um, conduction paste that touches some electrodes and just picks up the brain waves. Um, and transmits them on the screen using visual and auditory sounds. And so what, what neurofeedback feedback does is train the brain to stay in that zone that we have it programmed for. Um, and then it sounds less pleasing and the visual is less pleasing and less clear as, as the brain waves are going outside of that training zone. The therapists that listen to this will be all about learning more about that. Um, because, you know, PTs, OTs, and, and speech therapists, speech language pathologists will use, I know in some form, I, I know specifically about PTs who use biofeedback in different ways. And so um, that would, that will be interesting for people to yeah. um, and, and learn because it's pretty effective, correct? When you're allowed yeah. to do it pre, pre-COVID, pre-COVID times. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the system we use is really just a lot of wonderful research supporting it. 
Um, and, you know, it makes it expensive. I do, I mean, I've looked at Apollo and there's a couple other ones that are hand kind of individualized and handheld and they're a finite kind of, um, they don't quite have the high level of clinical pieces that you can do with it, but they have really decent research and there's more to come. Well, maybe I'm, a I'm parent sure. who is already doing some things, that might be another yeah. option. Yeah. Yeah. But just to give you kind of a hierarchy there, um, if, if they're, if, if someone has anxiety in particular, like it's perfectly, if they're not having suicidal ideations, it's perfectly acceptable to start with nutrition. Okay. So seeing a nutritionist to help, help with that process. Um, it's, it's, um, if, you know, when they, people have isolation issues, I mean, y- you can do little things like, okay, we're just going to get together. And I mean, the, the, it's the, look, we've had a hard time as adults. Like, it, is it reasonable to expect our kids to just figure this out? No, they, they're going to need some intervention and some help. And so whether it's, you know, you know, my kids are struggling. So I'm going to call Nicole and say, hey, Nicole's coming over. And we're going to have a couple of the friends come over. And we're going to do some group activity. We call it team building. We can call it whatever, community building. We're just going to play together and have some games. And whether it's something that looks ends up looking really similar to a youth group activity or um, I'm trying to think of some of the different things that go on at high schools and, and junior highs. And, and I mean, it, it's going to be a social event and we're just going to talk it through. But I do think it's in, really important that you mentioned that, you know, sometimes there people are having a hard time with the communication piece. And I it just kind of clicked for me. If, if people's interactions have only been on, on video or kind of social when it comes to that, there can be a, just a lack just an well, unfamiliar out of use practice, of those right? Friends. I also, I find that um, with my own friends, or not my own friends, my own kids with their friends, when there's conflict, there's sometimes texting, but no conversation. And I always tell them if, you know, it's normal to have problems with people that you're in community with, and there's positive ways to handle it. And you must speak because yeah. text can be interpreted so many different ways and so wrong even when the intent isn't wrong, pick up the phone or FaceTime someone and have a conversation. Sometimes I feel a little swimming upstream there, but I do think you're right that teenagers aren't in practice of verbally communicating. Yeah. Especially hard things. This is something that is important for us to role play. You know, we can role play with our kids. Hey, I'm going to, hey, this, you know, text me, let's practice this. And it always starts from a text. Hey, sounds like a phone call. And then, you know, kind of, is it okay if I call you right now? Are you free? You know, and, and having that scheduling almost and just say, Hey, I you heard this. And I was going to make sure I'm not upset with you or just play it out, yeah. role play it. Because we remember you're building pathways and remember your, your kids, especially if they already had some of those skills, they're yeah. going to come back pretty quickly. They just need a little support getting them yeah. re-engaged. Well, I think pre-pandemic too, that's just good advice. I also, yeah. um, you know, I've heard friend kids say, I'm worried about my friend. They seem like they're always upset or I'm worried about my friend. They mentioned this to me. I'm worried about my friend. They're going through this with somebody at school, yeah. but don't tell their parent or don't tell, you know, they're so... Um, rightfully they they want to be trusted by their friends so this was actually a question from a teenager if you know your friend isn't yeah. okay what do you do um okay so isn't okay versus 
on the level of safety and isn't okay. Isn't good. You know what I mean? It's, it can be unsafe too. So isn't okay. I say, talk to your parents about it. See what you can do. Your parents may have some ideas taking those back. And at some point, like we're all like one of the most important skills we're ever going to learn. I think, I mean, is limit setting. You know what I mean? It's because, you know, this is one of those pieces where if you don't accept this help, I've, I just can't sit here and watch you decompose, you know, kind of thing. Well, I wonder too, if sometimes kids are doing this behavior so their friends will notice. So like, I've even said to my kids, maybe you should say, I'm worried about you. Can we talk to your parents together? Or I'm worried about yes. you. Do you mind if I tell your mom, I'm worried about you or. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't ask permission to tell my mom about anything. I mean, I'm just saying, yeah. I would, I would, you know, cause that's something, but you know, as a parent, if our kids come to us and their, their friend is, you know, threatening suicide has done, you know, I mean, a, I mean, cutting, you know, those are things where, um, you need to get them help. Absolutely. And here, if they're not going to get help or if they're really like passing out because of binging and or purging and all these other pieces and food restriction, um, that, that where like, that's really, really unsafe. You know, anorexia does have one of the highest mortality rates in the mental health field. Yep. So, um, there's, there's these, some of these things and, and suicide, the two, the teen, the rates of teen suicide have skyrocketed. Yeah. Um, so I think it's and like double the is rate. It you know, true, is it true that we're seeing that in younger children too? Younger that's what I'm lives? reading. Yeah, that's what I'm reading. I'm, you know, I'm not personally saying that, you know, from, from what I'm experiencing in, in our center, but I mean, I think if the data is out there, the yeah, data is out there, I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah. yeah. But we've had this coming, you know, we've, we, we've, before the pandemic, like teen suicides were climbing and they had been climbing. I think just in the past, is it eight or five years? I forget exactly. Well, I know it's, it's a long time because in our lecture that we do on play, when we talk about changes in play trends and how we've robbed children, even older children of their ability to have free time for free play to manage stress, that that is a consequence that they have linked to that change in societal behavior that yeah. uh, children aren't getting that, that blow off and when we lecture, we say, you know, when you're stressed, what do you do? Well, I call a friend, I go on a run, you know, I, yeah. but, but if, if their day is so scheduled and we don't give them a chance to make some choices yeah. for how to manage it, it bubbles over. And then of course, you know, the pressure of school, college applications, yeah. scholarships, testing. So yeah. I mean, there's just so many, these kids, it's, it's hard to be a kid and everything you do is tracked online if they have access to social media. So, you know, I, know. I tell my kids all the time, I'm so glad I didn't have social media when I was a, your age because I messed up a lot, you know, and know. you're going to too. So you just have to know it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I, you know, you mentioned something, I think it's important for our kids and, and, and us as, as caregivers to model walking back our mistakes. You know, I'm, I messed up on that. I'm sorry. You don't deserve for me to speak to you like that. And even for teenagers to kind of like, because that's, that could happen and that could happen in a social media situation. And, and really let's, let's walk it back. You know what I mean? Let's, let's talk about that. I realized what I said was wrong. I was 
this was not the context, but you know, how do you do repair? How do you express genuine sorrow for what you did? And how do, I mean, this is a powerful relationship skill. skill. Absolutely. So coping strategies for kids and teens who are struggling with that anxiety, feeling lonely, having trouble falling asleep. Um, what, what can we suggest to them to help cope? You've mentioned nutrition. We've talked about exercise. We've talked about parent presence, friend presence of being in connection with other people Mm -hmm. who love them. Anything else we've Mm -hmm. missed in terms of coping strategies? Okay. And I mean, I, I, I think I'll drill down on talk about sleep, but some of these all are going to be beneficial. Okay. And I got to just put a plug in for the whoop strap. Like, do you yeah, know what talk I'm talking about? You know how to whoop strap it? I looked okay. it up when you shared the other day, but tell the people. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, how we, we, we really appreciate our team of clinicians and support staff at Renovo. And this is, you know, hug your healthcare provider. <laughs> hard they time. have been yeah. through it this past year and you know, doing treatment virtually was just so stressful and such a transition. It was a hard left turn for many of us who just had never done this work that way. So we, we really, you know, really value self-care and really, it's a, it's, it's a core value, literally. So what we, we've done is we, we've offered to reimburse for up to six months of the whoop strap. It's about 30 bucks a month for our team members. And what the whoop strap does, I, um, it, it doesn't have a face on, which I think is so interesting, but um, it tracks your resting heart rate. It has sleep, your sleep numbers, um, HRV, respiratory rate, um, and all these pieces. And it gives you a strain score for how hard you can deal with stress or workouts. Because a lot of professional athletes and collegiate athletes and, and all that, but we're seeing that, in, I mean, corporate world and entrepreneurs and business leaders are using this as well. So it has a strain score because based on your, it has a recovery score and then it has a sleep score. And so recovery looks at HRV, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and um, your sleep score to give you a recovery score. And that tells you kind of how hard or how much stress your body and brain can deal with. Because, you know, we're, our brain's not going to differentiate physical and emotional stress. And this really can help us kind of look about, because we tend to do the same thing every day. But the truth is that we need to kind of take it easy some days. And other times, I mean, especially if we're talking about a physical workout, we can go go hard kind of thing. And so I, I thought this would be just this really object, objective metric that we can look at. And as we're about five weeks in. I am just fascinated by the data. You know what really? I mean? I'm just fascinated by the data. So some of the things that I want to talk to you about with sleep kind of comes from, you know, stuff we've talked about before, but there's other things that I just didn't know until I start finding out, you know, what their data, they're, they're just a big data collection kind of piece that with, um, of what helps people have higher HRV, heart rate variability have a lower resting heart rate at night, have better sleep scores. And so I'm just, when I start listing the things that I've seen make a big difference, the blue light blocking glasses, especially if people can't not have screen time three hours before bedtime. My favorites, which are from Renovo are like magnesium glycinate. And that's something that we give for anxiety during the day. Um, We take bedtime, 
Say it magnesium. Again. Sorry. Magnesium. Sure. Magnesium. Glycinate. Glycinate. Magnesium. Glycinate. Yeah. G. Glycinate. That's it. G-L-Y-C-I-N-A-T. Okay. Um, and some, you know, we don't recommend more than three milligrams of melatonin, um, but sometimes folks at bedtime will find those two paired together to be really their magic combination. Weighted blankets. Like you talk about changing my sleep score. Oh my gosh, the weighted blankets have been huge. Not I having meals. Yeah. I I mean, my you know, my son my son's had one for years, but I didn't actually try it on until like more recently. And I was like, oh, and look at my sleep score. <laughs> so you have this objective metric that just shows, oh, not eating two to three hours before bedtime. That changes the restorative process of sleep. Um, having really close to similar um, bedtime and wake times or other things that really impact that, that recovery number, which gets your, you know, the higher your heart rate goes in that overnight process and the lower your resting heart rate, that helps that with the restorative process. So, um, Those let's are see. Great. Uh, yeah. Having sun time a little bit every day, having, um, time in nature, like being up before a certain time and you guys decide what that is. But I say, you know, being up before 7.30 in the morning, is there something great about it? I know we have teens. So whatever your number is, teenagers, I get that. that you oh, guys... mine are up at 5.45. Oh dear, God bless them. But we know that's, you know, how many, I'm sure there's a ton of families I've heard this whole past year that the, the circadian rhythms got way off in particular for their teenagers. And that would be one of those pieces where get those circadian rhythms back to what nature is. It makes a huge difference, yeah. especially if folks are starting to have mental health symptoms. Um, journaling. You know, I think that can be helpful. And, you know, I think that can be very helpful. Don't do it online. Yeah. Do it in a way that's safe. Um, I, I think many people will do it on the computer. That's different. Um, but I'm saying something... I think it needs to, if people are going to journal, it needs to be something that's pretty private so they can feel safe in their processes. Um, I think that's wonderful. Hey, I'm, I'm a huge fan at bedtime of doing what we call emotional health cleaning. It's where we kind of go through and finish the sentence. And really, we're just clearing feelings. So we check in um, with our pain feelings. So we say, I feel angry that, and you kind of see what comes up and finish the sentence with a, just simple words. Um, and then we go through, I feel angry, sad, afraid, guilty, and then grateful, happy, secure, and proud. So it's kind of a balancing thing, but you're clearing out the stress of the day. And that's really good for monkey mind. And some I of want those pieces you to send bedtime. me that, and I'm going to make that into a graphic for me and for you. Okay. <laughs> and that's yeah, yeah, that's that. straight. That's, that is straight from the ebtconnect.net team. Okay. I mean, that is, that is a tool that I learned from them. They're one that's, 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 yeah. The other that. piece is, is really belly breathing that we haven't mentioned. And this is like, how do we wind down and get to sleep? Belly breathing is huge. And engaging that diaphragmatic breath is really engaging our, our calming system of our central nervous system. Um, you know, if, if belly breathing doesn't feel right, those are good times to engage your um, cranial sacral therapist that works with your spinal fluid which is very much connected to your central nervous system. So those are, those are those external resources that really complement well with, you know, all the professionals. Um, some folks really need to do, have, see their medical doctor if they haven't had a physical in the past year. 
you know, teens, do they have thyroid? Are they on birth control? Is there, are they having hormone dysregulation? There's a, a bunch of different pieces that can be with that, but I don't want to, there's a bunch no, of that's important. whole person. It, those yeah. are, yeah, those are important to look outside the box of just, oh, you're stressed and you can't sleep. There's a lot of things yeah. to be yeah. to that, that maybe we're not thinking of. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. love that. I love objective stuff. I like a list and that is a great yeah. list. Okay, so last question. You've been so gracious with your time. Um, younger children, we work with younger children, Lacey and I do, as you know. Um, and I've heard from, it's, it's interesting, when we do our annual evaluations, we kind of go through family routines and we say, okay, how is waking up going? How's mealtime going? How's playtime going? How's bath time going? And when we get to outings, we're like, how are outings going? And we've heard parents say, well, we don't go anywhere. Um, and when we do, to be honest with you, they're kind of freaked out by people because it's a really weird thing to think about, but especially one-year-olds, babies that just turned one, they haven't really been out. They have not seen other humans very much other than their family. So we on our end are, are noticing some unique um, stranger anxiety things because they don't have a reference of before pandemic because they weren't here before pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had one. So I'm curious about tips for picking up on things that are off in younger children. And, and to illustrate that we had one example of a listener who wrote to us about her son who is six and he does have some history of anxiety and OCD. Um, she's seeing a regression with toilet training, only just at home though. He's fine at school. Um, anxiety with going to school, disinterest in activities that he used to love, like going outside. His mom, his mom's gut says to her that he's trying to control something because so much has been out of his control in the past year. And we talked about that with eating and yeah. other behaviors for older kids too. So is this common, would you say, in younger children? Um, for that mom in particular, any advice or for just for parents in general of younger children, signs to watch for because they're not going to be as verbal and potentially sharing their worries. That um, there just sounds like some uniqueness with that particular situation. I wonder if that sweet child had a hard time with transition to starting school and ending, you know, Maybe. that kind of thing as well. Um, I, you know, there's, I, I, I don't know, you and I've done this for a while. Our mamas know what they, their kids need, don't they? She, she has a gut feeling about something there that I think is really valid and should yeah, be explored. But he's controlling. And so, yeah, and maybe he is. I mean, and is it reasonable that he would need to control something? You know, because a lot of things have just been, I mean, you're in uh, school one week, you're not the next. Control. Right. And so providing, providing ways, you know, and maybe, maybe they need professional support. I kind of, my gut goes towards occupational therapy in this particular situation kind of thing, but maybe, maybe a counselor or behavioral specialist or something on that line would be helpful too. But the kind of saying, you know, what are the things, does this child have things that they can control that they, um, the other part is our kids save all their their difficulty for their caregivers. You know what I mean? They save it where all for you. Yeah where, yeah, where they feel safe. And so they may be just holding it together all day and then coming home 
you know, is there some gut dysregulation? Are they having, you know, bouts of diarrhea? Are they fearful about using the bathroom at school? Um, you know, there's, there's, a bunch, there's a ton of questions there. Um, and that, 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 that I feel like I'm probably not able to help very much because I have more questions than answers. Yeah. Um, with with that, that, but, say, I, but for young children, you're saying, I'm hearing body systems, look at digestion, look at sleep, look at behavior that's out of the norm. It sounds like, you know, disinterest in things he used to love those. Yeah. She's on the right track that he needs help yeah. but for a parent in general, if they're seeing those things. Um, I wonder too, like, I'm a big fan of social stories and I know that OTs are a huge help with that, but you know, I was talking to my cousin, I sent her a text. She has, um, I think he's five and then a three-year-old. And, um, I said, how are they doing? Like, have you noticed anything? And she said, well, their daycare has been fairly consistent. So that routine hasn't changed for them, but the biggest routine for them was not seeing grandparents. And so her parents finally came to visit and it was only a long weekend where previously they had stayed longer and her kids really had a meltdown with the um, detachment from the grandparents Yeah, and had the grandparents had to promise they, you know, show when they were coming back and how long they would stay. And so I think those sorts of things in the young child's world have changed. Um, and maybe social stories, which spell out the expectation yeah. of what's going to happen or why it's going to happen to illustrate. I, I find those helpful for children um, with learning challenges or developmental challenges and children who don't have um, developmental yeah. challenges. Well, one of the things, and I know that was very difficult what you, for your cousin to have that, but that is a sign of really secure attachment. Oh, for sure. Like, see what I'm saying? Yeah, that that's beautiful. That I mean, that's that's reasonable for kids to feel that loss. We feel and it. finding yeah, and find ways to stay connected. I I haven't. I you know I've struggled with um, how much our kids know about COVID. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because I I you know they are they have like how much is appropriate and there's these age ranges about but knowing that the adults have been saturated with, you know, information and a lot of it's not consistent. Um, and, and what, you know, so I think there's, well, and we're stuck you know, in a weird place where we can't shelter them from it because right. Everybody's got a mask. On. Everyone's in a mask and they can't see their grandparents. So to give them no explanation behind that feels, you gotta tell a story about that. Right. I was yeah. doing some research on stress and children um, for a course we're doing, and it kept coming back to basically um, the Mr. Rogers theme and, and, you know, looking for the helpers and, and two things. One is um, giving them real information that's developmentally appropriate and also not giving it to them without empowering them with a way to control it. So like, mm -hmm. yes, there are a lot of people in the hospital. There are a lot of people are sick. So let's make cards for the nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists who yeah. are working so hard. Yes, we miss our grandparents. And guess what? They miss us too. Let's pick a time where we can read a story with them every night. You know, giving them yeah. some control over it or a piece and making it better in the research I read um, showed to be healthy. Yeah. 
and and really trying to keep their knowledge very very local or just around their family kind of thing so they don't like you know part of the issues yeah you know the issues even as adults is we have all this information about the whole world it's just too much our brain and so especially for exactly and and the truth is is that we can love our neighbor and care for our community and the world and not have to know all these things and that's the part where um we, and we do want our kids to be active with social justice and stuff like that. But we seriously need to question how we be very careful how what ages we're doing that and, and what doses we're doing that with. Because I think they're we, we know, responsible. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not able to take on any responsibility with that other than in these small local ways kind of thing. This this macro kind of world or even just a state issue you know you and I are overwhelmed so when we talk about this I'm like get me out of my cocoon of <laughs> helplessness and empathetic responses on on the fair regular yeah, um, yeah. so I yeah. get it so our our last question and this can be serious and related to your field or it can be funny and totally unrelated to mental health which maybe you need a break from that in, in the intensity you've served our world this past year, but the mic is yours. What do you want parents, teens, families to know that we haven't already talked about? Um, yeah, parents, you guys are the most important people in your, your life. Take care of you. Everybody, you are the central, the North Star of your family. And so your self-care matters. You matter. And so this, um, we don't need to be putting our kids, you know, before us when it comes to these things where we're stressed out and, and all of that. So we, we, we want to regulate ourselves first. Um, and then also our teens and our kids, I mean, they matter too. They're a world. They're one of the biggest joys in our lives. And so let's spend more time as a family. Let's do less. Let's have moments of stillness every day. Um, let's get out in nature. Let's, let's kind of simplify. And, um, I think we're all, we're, we're going to make it through this for sure. And I, I think we're going to come out on the other side of this better in some ways for sure. Definitely. I hope the other thing that I'm thinking, Nicole, I met you, you were my Pilates instructor. (laughs) I was. I'm not sure exactly what year that would have been, but that was probably 17 or 18 years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I would say so. So, I taught, yes. I taught Pilates nine months pregnant with Gabriella. Yes. Um, Yes. And then a few years after that until having kids so close together, finally put a fork in me. Um. (laughs) I think the last class I attended, you were pregnant with the second one. Yeah. Does that sound right? I've been very together. So yeah, it's all a blur, but yes. Yeah. That's that's how we met was through Pilates. I think that there's, um, whether it's through Zoom or other things, I think there's, you know, this is a time where we we can all continue to connect with each other um, in various ways more, more frequently. And um, I guess the other thing that I'm thinking, it is absolutely okay to have your four friends. I mean, 
as the older we get, we have fewer really close friends. Two close friends are way better than, for sure, you know, 100, 200, 2000, whatever it is that are not close. And we all just wanted, I mean, I do think that for me, there's been some difficulty and some losses this past year. But one of the things that I do celebrate is some parts of my life have really slowed down. My relationships have deepened significantly. Quality over quantity. I'm deeply grateful for that. And so look for look for the light side of things and and trust that we are the human race and we, we will continue. Yeah. Yeah. Melissa, how can people find you? I know how to find you. I send people your way, but what are the best ways? Um, your center is such a light in our community in so many ways around mental health, but also significantly around addiction and other concerns, um, whether someone is local or whether they just want to learn more about you, even if they're across the country or across the world, how can they find you? Well, our website is renovocenter.com. That's R-E-N-O-V-O center.com. And you can reach out to me through email. It's Melissa at renovocenter.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us. I feel like um, your cup is always pouring and I know that this pour is going to mean a lot um, for a lot of people. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me and thanks for all the good you do in this world too. Thanks. Um, If you have not yet followed our podcast um, or liked it, we ask if you'd be willing to do that, you consider it. It helps small podcasters like us to become more visible on the web. Also, if you're new to us, um, you can check us out anytime at milestonesandmiracles.com for a plethora of um, free information and our our product, One, Two, Three, Just Play With Me, which makes a great baby gift. Um, We are here to support and promote um, play as the best way for young children and families to stay healthy and happy. And so we thank you for your time and listening to us. Please feel free to share this conversation with anyone who you feel it um, may help. My, my hope and my prayer is that um, it can be co- a conversation starter for people who need to be having these conversations and that it can lead us all closer um, to taking better care of our mental health and recognizing our own needs no matter where we are on that journey. Um, so thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.